Well, today's reading from the Gospel, according to Matthew, begins in chapter 1, verse 18. Next Sunday, we'll read from the Gospel according to John, and that reading will start at chapter 1, verse 1. So why did we leave out the first 17 verses of Matthew today? It's not because they're unimportant. It's because they're a genealogy. The first 17 verses of Matthew are a genealogy, a list of Jesus' ancestors. So Matthew begins with this. Chapter 1, verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashor, Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of of King David. It continues. Another 28 generations. Do you want to hear them all? No. All right, all right. It continues. So one of the challenges of reading the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is that every now and then we come across one of these genealogies, which for us throws off the narrative of the story, and without any idea of who these people are, we find these genealogies boring, if not irrelevant. But that wasn't the case uh, for those really familiar with the Old Testament like Matthew and his community was. Uh, more than a list of names, in ancient Israel, genealogy served as a sh- sort of shorthand of history. Uh, you know, a name would represent a whole story, a whole people maybe. We may recognize a name or two and might remember something about them, that Jacob... Uh, saw angels going up and down a ladder, or that he wrestled with an angel. Uh, David, we remember, killed Goliath. But for the ancient Israelites, and for those of Matthew's predominantly Jewish community, names were a shorthand for a whole series of stories, a whole history. But in the Old Testament, from which Matthew drew his genealogy, we find that they did not always get along. These people of the Old Testament did not always get along or do the right thing. Fathers showed preference for some children over other children. Uh, There were sibling rivalries. Children were conceived under suspicious, if downright terrible, circumstances. Rahab, one of the people mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, was the so-called harlot, but she did help the Hebrews take over the city of Jericho. Uh, King David, also part of the genealogy, Uh, He arranged for his lieutenant Uriah to be killed so he could marry Uriah's wife Bathsheba. And their son, Bathsheba and David's son, was Solomon. He was the product of their union. He became king after David. So, you know, it's not altogether a great history. Spend spend some time with Genesis. You'll find the, 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 the great and the bad. In a recent article from, about Advent posted uh, by Christianity Today, uh, the Episcopal priest, author, renowned preacher Fleming Rutledge, she said of the Bible and its story, she said, the biblical story is unsentimental. It doesn't offer optimism. It doesn't offer positive thinking. 
It looks deeply into human folly, human misery, human pain, and plain old human disappointment. She said the Bible is a story, not a scientific document or a collection of spiritual principles, but it tells us how we came to be who we are in this world, how we fractured the image of God in ourselves by our rebellion, and how our Creator came in his own person to transfigure us into the likeness of the Son. It tells us of the powers of sin and death and their hold on us. Jesus' ancestors are part of that story. Uh, Through them we look into the folly, misery, pain, disappointment, the fractured image of God in them and us, the powers of sin and death which had a hold on them and us. But we also see in them the story of a power of a loving, forgiving, merciful, saving God. The story continues, that story continues in the Gospel according to Matthew. After the genealogy which opens the Gospel of Matthew, he tells us, Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, her husband Joseph being a righteous man, and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, uh, planned to dismiss her quietly. There's provisions for such kind of thing in the Jewish law. An engagement in first century Judaism was a binding arrangement between the couple and they were more or less already considered married, considered husband and wife, even though they might not be living together yet. The couple would be still legally bound to one another, even though they each lived perhaps with their own families for one or two more years until the bride moved into the groom's home and then they had a big ceremony. So if Mary is pregnant and the child isn't his, it could only mean that Mary had been unfaithful and so Joseph plans to do what might have been the right thing at the time, which was to quietly divorce her. But before he could do that, one night while Joseph slept, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she, she will bear a son, and she gives him the direction of, you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So here the angel tells Joseph that the, Mary, that the child that Mary carries is, miraculously, from the Holy Spirit, meaning that Jesus comes from the creative power of God. Jesus comes from the same creative spirit that hovered over creation in the beginning. In the beginning when when it says the earth was just a void and waters covered the earth. Well, that same spirit is, is where Jesus comes from. And as a matter of fact, if we looked at the Greek word for birth, it is the word Genesis. And so this whole beginning of this passage in Matthew could be read to say... Now, the genesis of the Messiah took place in this way. So here the angel announces that God's creative power will not only just create everything, but God's power saves people from their sins. Here in the beginning of the gospel is Jesus' purpose. It is his mission to save people from their sins. That's why he's named Jesus. Jesus in the Greek is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means God saves. God saves. And in the Old Testament, in the book named after him, Joshua led the people of Israel uh, into the promised land. And in a similar way, Jesus will save his people by saving them from their sins and lead them into the kingdom of God. So God not only creates, God saves, God 
saves us from our sins. Now, a word about sin. Yesterday was the darkest day of the year, so we deal with the dark subject of sin today. So we usually think of sin as breaking some sort of, or a set of rules, whether they be the Ten Commandments or some other uh, list of things in the Bible that are not to be done. Uh, Sin partly includes that, and we need their guidance so we know what sin entails. But sin fundamentally is more than transgressing one or more items on a list of commandments. Sin is one of the manifestations of separation from God. The 20th century theologian Paul Tillich said that to be in a state of sin is to be in a state of separation. That means separation from God, separation from other people, from one another. But in his ministry, Jesus, in his ministry, met people who were separated from God, but more often he met people who were separated from other people. When Jesus went around healing the sick, feeding the hungry, and, and giving sight to the blind, and raising the dead, he brought people back into relationship with not just God, but with one another. In some instances, these people were living as outcasts at the margins of society. So through his ministry, Jesus ended their separation from others by bringing them back into society, into relationship with other people. And when he said this, and when he did this, he often would tell them, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Now, in many ways, we are so different than Jesus' ancestors. The way we live is entirely different. Uh, But in other ways, we're not that much different from them. Uh, We are prone to the same folly, pain, discord, and disappointment. We're prone to the same sin as they were. And as God was for them, God is for us. A steadfast, a God of steadfast love who continues to be that saving God who through Jesus is Emmanuel, who is with us and who is for us. Through the power of his grace, God opens up a space in us. God opens up a space between us as a way of forgiveness and reconciliation which overcomes separation from God and overcomes separation from one another. As Swimming Revelage said, the biblical story is unsentimental. It doesn't offer optimism. It doesn't offer positive thinking. So this isn't about positive thinking. It requires from us repentance. Acknowledging and turning away from sin. Asking for forgiveness and seeking to amend our lives. And on the other hand, the biblical story is a story of good news. It tells us of a a God who is with us, a merciful, loving God who forgives. It tells us the good news that a woman named Mary would bear a son who would be named Jesus. And he would save people from their sins. And the thing is, it just doesn't, Jesus just just doesn't save us from something. Jesus saves us for something. He saves us for communion with God. He saves us for communion with one another. Amen.